Good morning. Welcome. We are very glad that you are here. Uh, we are going to enter into a time of worship. That's why we're gathering, because God's really good and he's worthy of praise. So y'all, uh, please stand and pray with me to that end. Lord, we come to you now, and uh, we count it a sweet, sweet privilege uh, to worship you. I'm thankful for uh, a new year, for the reminder uh, that we have uh, new beginnings in Christ, particularly in that even this morning we all woke up with mercies that were new, that we all need today. Lord, we pray that you would guide our time. Um, any preparations that have gone into this time are not enough. We, we need the work of the Spirit to move as we sing and as, as we listen and as we engage the Word. So, Lord, we, uh, we submit to you humbly this morning and pray that you would use this time as you see fit uh, for your glory. We love you, Lord, and uh, we pray these things in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Anytime we read from our, we read from our Bibles, it's a privilege because it's breathed out by God. It's profitable for us. And uh, I want to read Ephesians chapter 1 in preparation to hear a message from Romans 7. So, so listen to this in preparation, knowing that you're going to hear more later, and this is something you need to know uh, as we continue to sing and as we prepare to engage the preached word. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. As we read that text, one of the things you see is a lot of work being done by God and a lot of blessing that we receive on the other end of that. If you're here this morning hoping that you have all of your junk together and you hope that you'll be pleasing to God in these moments because you have your life together, that's, that's misinformed. We're here as a desperately needy people, very dependent upon a finished work outside of us. And so we read those scriptures, we prepare to hear the preached word, and we're going to sing this song in further preparation. It's come thou fount. Most of us are very familiar with it. But what you see in those lyrics and in these lyrics are a very mighty God doing an unbelievably grace-filled and mercy-filled work for an undeserving people. And that humbles us, and that should make us eager to worship our God and to praise Him wholeheartedly, not just offering up empty phrases we're reading off of a screen, but worshiping Him wholeheartedly, not distracted, not eager to get to something else, but focused on Him. Lord, as we engage the preached word, I pray that you would use it to that end, that you would bind us, that you would fetter us, that you would seal our hearts for your courts above, that you would work in us that which we would never choose uh, ourselves. Lord, I pray for Steve as he preaches, that you would speak clearly through him, that he would trust you in the delivery of the message that he's prepared. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we pray these things in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Good morning. Happy New Year. I think I'm a little bit hot. I may need to adjust this. Just let me know. I want to begin this morning, uh, as we typically do, with prayer. Um, ben typically will pray for a local fellowship and leadership there. Um, what I'd like to do um, is pray for this fellowship. I, I want you guys to know that I've enjoyed uh, this week, especially. There's the, the preparation going into this, uh, this work today 
has been over some time, but this week uh, I've enjoyed the plurality uh, we have here. Uh, and I'll share with you some about that. Uh, but just have really enjoyed those guys here that are devoted uh, to the study of this word and how they can help you shape and help you deliver uh, a message like this. So let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning I just want to start uh, with thankfulness. So thankful for your grace and mercy that's sufficient uh, for drawing and growing and equipping and establishing a people uh, for your name's sake. Uh, Father, we're so dependent on you in that. And Father, I'm thankful for leadership in this body uh, that's experienced brokenness and humiliation for your sake. Making them very approachable and very humble. Having hearts to, to listen to you and hear what you say. Father, to spend time in your word, be devoted to that. To praying for this body, preaching and teaching. Father, this morning I just pray for Ben and Scott. their families. Um, Father, for just protection as they spend time in the Word. Uh, Father, it can, it takes a lot of energy. It <laughs> uh, can be exhausting in so many ways. Uh, first being run through by your Word. And then, Father, just um, trying to get out of the way as your truth is exposed. Pray for their families. Uh, just uh, <coughs> knowing that the time the study and preaching and teaching can take um, is a sacrifice. <coughs> so Father, for those two, I just pray that they're just enjoying worship as a family. Father, you're protecting that. For Brad and myself, Father, um, Guys who get to do that on occasion. Uh, Father, I pray for a faithfulness. Uh, Father, I pray for protection for our families as well. Uh, as we're uh, leading this body. Father, in the time that that takes and the energy, uh, the ups and the downs, the emotions, uh, all the things that are part of that, Father, I just pray. Again, for worship, uh, the reminder, thankful for your word and what it exposes, uh, especially your love for us. Father, I pray that you'd make yourself known to us this morning uh, in a way that changes us for your glory. Uh, Father, I pray that we just enjoy dying on your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm sure this is, this is common, um, happens every week, but Viola sends out an email and she says, what's the title of your sermon and what's the text? It's amazing what that can kind of create sometimes. Uh, you've heard Ben say sometimes in, pre in preparing a sermon, sometimes it's just, you know, at some point in the preparation it's a soup sandwich. And uh, when I got that email, what I was feeling was I was at the buffet, <laughs> the grand buffet, all these different things, and I'm really trying to fashion, you know, what am I going to bring to the table here? There's so much uh, uh, in this text that we're going to be in. And uh, just trying to, the good part in, in trying to get to this, this title was to, you know, what is being prepared here? What's going to be brought? Um, so uh, after going through a couple of... of uh, versions there, and spending some time sitting with Ben. I want y'all to know this really was born in plurality, this, this message, and this, it was really shaped and just uh, put together in plurality. I so enjoyed sitting down with Ben because what I did bring was, here's a grand buffet. Help me, brother. <laughs> I need to get to this, 
you know, this, this thing I'm going to bring to the table and um, really help to focus. And knowing that I was going to have conversations with Brad and Scott uh, made me dig deeper and really try to draw out what is this truth in this passage. I really felt God was leading me to by the preached word and where we've been, where we've been walking. Well, I can't, I, I can't express to you the importance of just sitting under the word and letting it guide and navigate the importance of this gathering we have each week to sit under the word. Because what I, was, what I was hearing is Brad was preaching about the law and its harmony with the gospel. What I was thinking of was, why does the law seem so negative to, to me and not in harmony? Why does it seem so opposed to the gospel? Why do I have this negative view of it? And that's kind of set me on this journey. And Scott was talking about the law and the misuse of it and what we can do with it, what it is, and then what we kind of make it to be. And it was really coming home to me. And so that's part of how this is shaped. And I landed in Romans 7. Our text is going to be Romans 7, 1 through 6. And uh, for the sake of a title there, the title is To Belong to Another. And what that means it's in the text, and you'll notice it as we read through. Uh, but it's, it, it's something I want us to understand. Who do we belong to? Let's read the text now. Romans 7, this is verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. In studying and looking at this, and trying to understand is who we belong to and how that affects our relationship to things. We need to understand um, whose we are. And that's part, and that's, as I was reading through this and wanting to draw this out, I found it necessary to kind of get situated. So before we kind of dine on this main course here, I want to get us situated. And I'm talking about Crosspoint Fellowship. I'm talking about you sitting in the pew today. Get you sit, just situated at the table and, and give you perspective on this. Okay? And that's part of why we went to Ephesians 1. It's such a great picture of God's purpose and plan, the work that he's done. And you're going you're gonna to see something occur uh, several times as, as I'm sharing with you and you're going to hear this in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And you need to understand what that is. So, cross point, our situation, our perspective. And this text, as, as Paul is delivering this, this letter to the Romans, he's addressing brothers. And that's who I'm going to address this morning. Those in Christ. Okay, as I pre present this situation and this perspective, that is for those who are in Christ. Okay, and it helps us understand the text uh, to the extent we understand who we are in our situation. Uh, we understand our relationship to the flesh, to sin, to death, to life, to Christ, and ultimately, ultimately to God. Ephesians chapter 1 reminds us and puts in summary form what, what we have in Christ. I'm not going to read back through it, but I'm going to recount some of those things. Listen. 
And in Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Get that, that it's spiritual and it's heavenly. This speaks of God and speaks of our relationship to him. Since we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's how we get in Christ. That's the work of the Father to place us in Christ, in that relationship to belong to Christ. That we should be holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. And in regard to our relationship to God, we've been predestined for adoption as sons. According to what? His will. And his will it is, is that it's by grace in Christ. In regard to our situation, we have redemption through his blood. Forgiveness of our trespass. And in regard to our perspective, listen. He is making known to us the mystery of his will. Set forth in Christ to unite all things in him. And hear this for what it is. I think this is kind of not delivered correctly a lot. To unite the things that are in him. Things in heaven, things on earth. Things in him into one. I hope you're hearing that as as Ben was taking us through John 17 in the prayer and that petition. I hope it's going to be sweeter for you. You hear to take his name is to belong. To take his name, to be one, to be with him. We've obtained an inheritance, everything afforded to a son. And the word we're mentioned is co-heirs of Christ. Take a second, second just to wrap your head around that. Co-heirs with Christ. That's everything. In Christ, we have that inheritance. And we've heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. And we have believed and we have sealed. That is the work of God. I hope you see that. You've been given an ear to hear. You've heard And what you've heard is the gospel of your salvation. And you've been given belief. And you've been given an inheritance. And it's sealed by the Spirit. Good summary for that. There's three things. There's three points I kind of want to bring out. And I want you to be thinking of these as we traverse through here. Romans 8, 29, 30 puts it like this. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed Conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And these whom he predestined, he also called. What's the call? And this call here, the, the form of this word here is a call by name. This is being called out. You, hey you, come here, by name. Okay, it's not just this invitation. This is you're being called. And those whom he called, he also justified. This could be part of what we see today, this justification. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorified. Our situation, if we're sitting here today, we're wearing this body of flesh, we're somewhere between understanding this justification and understanding this glorification. This is our hope, this glorification. To be with him. To be in the presence of his glory. To be glorified. Ephesians 1, 17. Again. If you get situated here. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. This is, this is what we're walking through. This sanctification process. Understanding justification leading to sanctification, glorification. This is our journey. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants you to know who you are. 
who you belong to and what that affords you. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called, glory. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule, all authority, all power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the one to come. Know whose name you bear and how you got it. It's so important for us. What has power Who is our master? Who has dominion? Who has rule? This sanctification, this thing that's being worked out in us, the purpose is for us to bear witness to the truth of his grace, that it's a gift. You're not going to work your way there. It's a gift. It's necessary. His mercy, his promise, his power, they're a gift. So as we move into Romans, it's helpful to have some context to where we're going in chapter 7. I want to take just a couple of steps back, look at part of 5 and part of chapter 6. Kind of gives us the, the situation and the perspective of those who might be reading this in Rome. This letter is to uh, those in Rome, and I love, I'm going to read this because it's so, it's so good and so helpful for us to see. Uh, Romans 1, 1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the, in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who has descended from David according to the flesh... And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit. The Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the, the, and get this too, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. The obedience of faith, remember that, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. This letter is to those who belong to Jesus Christ. What's our situation, our perspective? This is our story. The church in Rome, as many Jews and Gentiles, and at the time of this writing, Paul has not been to Rome. In fact, he says he's been prevented from going there. So he's not addressing a particular thing going on in the church, but he's giving just uh, a picture of the gospel. It's a real formal letter. Romans is so good and so rich. I'd encourage you to study there. It's rich. But he's laying out this, this formal letter, uh, delivering the gospel. And I think here he is addressing some common problems as we get into uh, chapter 7, he, just some common problems and this, uh, this kind of conflict, Jew and Gentile at times, and also, of course, false teachings that went on. But uh, one thing this letter does, and, and it does, um, it's, a, it's a main discourse of this letter, is that we see God's righteousness for what it is. And we see how we possess it. What God's righteousness is as opposed to man's righteousness. Okay. You guys are moving up to the table here. Are you ready? We've kind of got perspective. We're seated. Now let's look real quickly. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope the hope of the glory of God. Verse 20. 
I'm going to introduce the law here a little bit. It's what we're moving towards. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign, be master, have dominion, through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Law, grace. Law exposes sin. We see the depth of grace when we see the depth of our sin. It's a contrast. It helps us to see it's necessary. Moving to chapter 6, Paul asks a question. What shall we say then? This is verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So piling up more sin does not make grace that greater. Because of what? Our relationship. Listen, there's a relationship here. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And we see in chapter 6, he goes on to say that we're bab- as much as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. It's one of those blessings of being in Christ. His death is our death. As Christ was raised from the dead, we walk in newness of life, it says. Being united in his death, we're united in his resurrection. Crucified with him, sin is brought to nothing. We're no longer enslaved. Romans 6, 9 says, We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. All of us in him, he's died once to sin, but the life he lives now, he lives to God. So that you, listen, this is you, cross point, fellowship, member in Christ. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we've been set free from sin, which has enslaved us and has had dominion and authority over us. Romans 8, 2 puts it like this. I want y'all to hear the law. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from what? The law of sin and death. In the flesh, sin is death. You're going to hear, you're going to hear something we just... Uh, well, recount, Romans six seventeen. But thanks to God that you were once slaves of sin have become, listen, obedient from the heart. See the difference? Slave, rule, master, dominion to obedience. And this is going to be important. When we walk into chapter 7, it's going to be important for us to understand this, this change, this difference, this difference in who we belong to and how we respond to that. What has rule and dominion over us? Are we serving in, in answer to rules and regulations or out of love and out of obedience? Obedient from the heart to the standard of teachings to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, he says he's saying this in human terms. He says, I'm speaking this in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Here's the picture of sanctification. Remember, called, justified, glorified. What's our problem here? We still have this body of flesh. But, depending on who we belong to, the fruit is either to death or it's to sanctification. (laughs) 
622. We're getting to 7. Hang with me. 622. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now a familiar passage. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See the contrast? Wages of sin. Wages, something you earn. Your fruit, your work, all these things are leading to death and you're going to get what you deserve. It's the end is death. Contrast that to a free gift. Something given in Christ. Life eternal. No death. So all this serves to set the table uh, what we're going to dine on in, in chapter 7. First six verses. And what this... What this is going to give us is a picture of our relationship in regards to the law and give us insight into our, our situation, our position in Christ, and our hope. Remember, called, justified, glorified. Called out by name. Romans 7, 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. First we see here Paul is speaking to brothers, he says, those in Christ, and those who have knowledge of the law. And I think this is kind of in a general sense, but it's also pointing to, I think, knowledge of the Mosaic law. Uh, there's a perspective here of the Jew who knows the law and is familiar with it, knows about being bound to something. But Paul here is just saying in general, um, just by definition, understand the law is what? It's a these set of rules and regulations that carries with it some authority. It can be enforced on the living. If you're dead, it's pretty hard to enforce Right? There may be those rules and regulations, and they may remain, but if you're dead, they're not really enforceable. So in a general sense, he's saying, dead to the law, law non-binding, it's not enforceable. Applied to the living, binding, enforced. And then he moves in, chapter two, in verse 2, to a more particular aspect of the law. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So there is this more particular part of the law that speaks to marriage. Okay, and it's a good shift and it gives us some perspective. It's going to help us with some further passages. Again, this is law, so it's enforceable and binding on the living. And what he's saying is while the husband lives, she's, the, the, the woman is bound. The married woman is bound. And this is especially true for a Jewish woman who by law cannot divorce her husband. She's bound until he dies. There's no provision to be released. Well, like Mosaic law gives no provision for her. The only way she is reached from the law of marriage was if her, if her husband were to die. Now, this released here, the word translated released, the meaning in the original text was that it's just made idle. It doesn't apply anymore. It doesn't go away. Have in mind that Christ said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It's important for us to know what the law means for us, what it is, and understand that the law doesn't die here. They're bound to it. It rules and has authority over them as long as they're in this relationship of marriage. The only way that relationship changes is death. And he says in verse 3, Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. 
But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. What does that mean in plain terms? A woman with two husbands is an adulteress. Where it says there, she lives with another man. I want you to know there, that, that lives there is a picture of belonging to. Being another man's woman. Okay, it's not just this live. It's not, it's, I'm his. At the same time, I'm, I've got a living husband. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it's literally two husbands. It's being married to one and then being married to another. That's the picture of adultery here. This is not a sermon on marriage, but this gives us insight into our marriages. And this woman with two husbands is significant because of what our marriage is supposed to be. I hope we understand, and this is what really came out to me. Marriage, we, we do not serve the institution of marriage. The mar- marriage institution serves God in his purpose. And it's to put the relationship of Christ and his church on display. So you see the picture of adultery. What it's talking about is who we belong to. It doesn't just serve marriage. It serves God and his purpose. What are we putting on display? And this is some of our, this is some, I think, of our trouble. And I think this is what troubled me and myself even to take me here. We belong to Christ and we remember our former husband. It seems like even at times, you know, we're trying to um, keep ourselves alive to that. This, this former relationship we were in, it served our passions. It served what we wanted. We kind of followed those things in us that we wanted. Verse 4. This is where Paul tra- transitions. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So Paul's presenting a change for us in regard to the law based on our relationship, based on who we are in, who we belong to. Our death in Christ to the law that we may belong to another. So what we see is we belong to someone else. And what happens in Christ, his death, his resurrection, is a change in a relationship. What changes a relationship? Death. So who did we belong to? We'll jump back to Romans 5, verse 12. Just mark it down. You don't need to go there. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, one death through sin, and so death and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. So in our flesh, we're born in our flesh. Who do we belong to? In our flesh, we belong to Adam. Just as sin entered the world through Adam, it spread to all men, us. So in Adam, we're bound to the flesh and all of its passions. We're bound to sin. We're bound 
to death. God takes a people, the people of Israel, and he enters into a covenant with them. The law is given. The law is given for obedience. Obedience from the heart. Obedience from the heart. Obedience is what it's for and it's what is expected. And this law is a picture of perfection and holiness. Understand what the law is. And this is what I was having a hard time with. I knew what Brad was preaching was reality, that the law was holy and it was in harmony with the gospel, but I had such a negative view of it because it exposed my sin, exposed me for who I was. In all its perfection, I'm sitting here in my flesh. So the law was given and required obedience. And listen, from Jeremiah 7... 22 and 24. Write that down because you're going to want to go back and read that. In fact, you want to look at all of chapter 7. I would say go to chapter 3 of Jeremiah 2. Spend some time there. Get a picture of the law and get a picture of what God is working in this. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this command I gave them Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Obey my voice, you'll belong to me. And I walk in all the way that I command you, that, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But listen, they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own Councils, hear it? Their own counsels, the flesh, its passions. And the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and they went backward, not forward. Our problem? Flesh. Adam. Bound to the flesh, bound to its passions, bound to sin, bound to death. Romans 7, 5, next verse. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. What the good, holy, pleasing, acceptable law does is expose us for who we are in the flesh exposes our sin and it condemns us wages of sin is death so by the law we're pronounced guilty we're lawbreakers the flesh can't please God it has no ability to please God understand that the law is a copy You've heard us talk about things, um, how, we view, how God uses those things in the Old Testament that we read, shadows of the real thing. Understand, the law is a copy. And this negative view we can have of the law is because of its perfection and the thing it points out. It's a copy of who our husband is to be, who is to be our master. The reality, namely, Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes our negative view of the law, we just transfer it right over to Jesus. When our passions come up and we want to follow those passions, there's always this thing, you know, and this relationship is to these rules and regulations rather than this relationship to our husband. And this negative view we have here, ah, and we get frustrated, and we have this sense of failure. Why? We're allowing our, our passions, our flesh, to skew our perspective. What we see is 
this law, we can't measure up. I can't do it right. I've heard you say it, guys. I've had conversations with you. And I know it. I feel it. The frustration. Man, I don't measure up. That's the purpose of the law. It's the purpose of the flesh. It's necessary. It's necessary for us to understand this free gift. Understand what we have in this relationship with Christ. Do you see in Ephesians 1 what we have, all the blessings we have? This adoption of sons, this inheritance, this glory that we're going to have. It's waiting for us. And just as much as he has called us, it's justified us, and says he's going to glorify us, it's a done deal. But think about what we have in that. If we have everything, if we are co-heirs with Christ, what's left? And when you see that, that helps us understand why would we want to follow earthly, fleshly passions. Have your eyes set on this inheritance. Because we're even going to have the presence. We're going to be with him. This glory we're going to have. The only thing we are not is God. Do you see that? The mistake in the garden was to be God. I'm going to know that regulation given, don't eat of this. Surely you'll die. You see our fall. You see our flesh. Sin. Death. All that to understand. Free gift. Eternal life. Glory. We desperately need to know who we belong to. And know that it's outside of us. It's a free gift. Can't work your way to it. So to belong to another, what's necessary? Our problem was we belonged to Adam. Our need is to die in order that we may belong to another. Because you see in this relationship, what has to die is us. We die to the old husband and are released. Verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Ah, it's heartbreaking for me. So exposes where I am so often, measuring to this written code. Man, that's the flesh. I still wear this flesh, and it's still a struggle. Those passions are there. Man, I want to please myself. But I've been set free from them to please the one I belong to. Serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So often we see this relationship as a set of demands. Now, this is only possible for those who are in Him, whom the Father has presented to Him as a bride. That's what we saw in Ephesians 1. Such a clear view. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. This marriage has been in preparation for the foundation of the world. It's hard for us in our culture to understand an arranged marriage. We've heard about it. It's kind of foreign to us. This is an arranged marriage nonetheless. Chosen to be the bride of Christ. Kind of a neat picture. And I've just married my son in November. First wedding ceremony I've been able to perform. And um, just all these pictures, more they just, you know, it just crystallizes when you're standing there and you, this father comes and gives his bride. What a neat picture. I enjoyed 
the preparation of that, of that ceremony, and really spending time with my son and his future wife, going through the Word. Because one of the things that I grew in in doing that, and they grew in, was seeing that, again, we don't serve this institution of marriage, this law of marriage. We don't serve it. It serves God's purpose. This really needs to put the gospel on display. It really does need to represent this marriage of Christ and the church. It's important for us to see what that is. And this ceremony, it's not about us. It's not about our passions and how. Yes, it's beautiful. If you take a look at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're, we're robed in white, we're pure and bright. And you see Christ preparing this bride and presenting this bride. Wow. But this marriage ceremony, it's to serve God, to put the gospel on display. Now, if our passions take hold there, it's all about us, how it looks, what happens, how pretty, how beautiful for our sake. But for his sake, put the gospel on display. We grew in that. And we went through the scripture and, and it begins to change your perspective. Understanding this relationship we have. Not according to law, but according to being in Christ and belonging. And this picture of a wife to her husband is a picture of the bride, the church. I hope y'all see that. Its purpose is to put that on display. So should it matter? Wives, how you treat your husband? Husband, representing Christ, should that change the kind of husband we are? Does it inform us at all? Is this for our purpose, our passions, our plans, or his? What's on display? See, in the flesh, we're just in bondage to those passions, but in Christ, we're set free from that. Even though the flesh may remain, we're set free from that bondage. In the new way of the Spirit, to serve in this way, it's for service, even slavery. Even though Paul's used this language, he said, I'm just using it because of your limitations. This being a slave to righteousness, this serve because you understand the relationship, you understand who you belong to. Listen to Ephesians 5. These are just some of the things we walked through as we were preparing for this marriage ceremony. It's good for us as the bride of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Is that heavy? Is that a rule we got to serve? Or is it a privilege? I belong to him. I want to serve him. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Take yourself out of this. Men, do you want to be the head and the authority, or do you want to represent Christ? See what you're to put on display there. Do you understand the relationship? Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Servitude or love? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Don't wear your flesh and your passions. So this is about you and you being served. Give yourself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Is it something we're just doing as a sacrifice? Or is it love?
the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Husband, are you nourishing and cherishing your wife to put the gospel on display? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Boy, I hope you heard that last week. Christ's prayer. It's really our protection during this sanctifying process uh, where we're understanding what it means to bear his name and be one. What we've seen is in the text here is, is the picture of or what is the old covenant and the new covenant. I want you to, I want to share uh, out of Hebrews. I want you to hear what's been accomplished by this finished work of Christ. His death and us in him, our death, that we may belong to another. That we may belong to him. Listen, you can make note, this is Hebrews 9, 13 through 28. You don't have to go there, but just listen. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. You see, God gave these sacrifices in response to sin in the flesh for purification of the flesh. That's all it could ever accomplish. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. See? moving from death to life, this law to grace. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. When does a will come into effect? Your last will and testament, when is it going to come into effect? When you die. For a will takes effect only at the death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded, you, has commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing. But he's entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. God's will has gone into effect. He's become flesh. He's died. He's put sin to death. His will, free gift, eternal life, for you to know it's free, not earned. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful this morning for your word, your truth. The reality over the copy, Father, uh, that we can know and be known and belong to Christ. That in him, by his death, our death, we've been given a new life. We're a new creation. Spiritual birth. We can serve in the way of the Spirit. We can take your name, our devotion, our passions, our commitment, our service, even our slaveries to you. Out of love, out of obedience from the heart, Father, I pray for myself and that. Pray for this body. Father, we won't revive this dead flesh. Bring it back up. But that we love you. And know that that means to obey, submit, serve, for your sake and for your glory. Father, we're thankful this morning for the finished work of Christ. Our hope is there. And Father, we look forward uh, to the day when we obtain that inheritance, which is to be present with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, so thankful. For your word, the truth that gives us the understanding. Father, thankful for a heart that understands our relationship to you in Christ, the blessings we have in Christ, the hope of glory we have in Christ. Father, I pray for myself and for this body. The love for the one we belong to. It's not measured by rules or regulations. The Father is obedience from the heart in love to say that's who I belong to. Father, I pray as we worship and giving, we understand the grace, matchless, bountiful grace we receive. Justification by the finished work of Christ and hope by the power of his resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know if you're like me, um, when I said, you know, does your marriage put Christ on display, there was that, uh, you know, and that's where the flesh takes us a lot. I want you to know, um, there is uh, a need out of devotion and love for Christ uh, to live in a manner worthy of a calling. There's a need for that. I wish we had a, fle a flesh meter I really do. Or maybe a collar, like, the, you know, it shocks the dog. When, when the flesh rises up, it just lets us know, you know. But what we are to do is remember. We're to remember. Remember Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Enjoy that relationship. Enjoy belonging to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, one last word. Just to thank you, thank you, thank you for the finished work of Christ. Father, that we can bear your name and we're heirs to an inheritance that means we, we get to spend eternity with you. So far beyond what we can even understand. Father, help us. Help us to remember. We thank you for Christ and his finished work. We pray in his name. Amen. Here's